she knew what was good for children, and she had a very accurate perception of what was good for herself. So she appropriated the greater part of the weekly stipend to her own use, and consigned the rising parochial generation to even a shorter allowance than was originally provided for them. It cannot be expected that this system of farming would produce any very extraordinary or luxuriant crop. Oliver Twist's ninth birthday found him a pale, thin child, somewhat diminutive in stature and decidedly small in circumference. But nature or inheritance had implanted a good, sturdy spirit in Oliver's breast. He was keeping his ninth birthday in the coal cellar with a select party of two other young gentlemen, who, after participating with him in a sound thrashing, had been locked up for atrociously presuming to be hungry, when Mrs. Mann, the good lady of the house, was unexpectedly startled by the apparition of Mr. Bumble, the beadle, striving to undo the wicket of the garden gate. Mrs. Mann ushered the beadle into a small parlour. "'Now, don't you be offended at what I'm going to say,' observed Mrs. Mann with captivating sweetness. "'You had a long walk, you know, or I wouldn't mention it. Now, will you take a little drop of something, Mr. Bumble?' "'I... I drink your health with cheerfulness, Mrs. Mann,' said Mr. Bumble, swallowing half of his gin and water. "'And now about business,' said the beetle, taking out a leathern pocketbook. "'The child that was half-baptised Oliver Twist is nine-year-old today.' "'Bless him,' interposed Mrs. Mann, inflaming her left eye with the corner of her apron. "'And notwithstanding uh, offered a reward of ten pound, which was afterwards increased to twenty pound, "'notwithstanding the most superlative and, I may say, supernatural exertions on the part of this parish,' said Bumble, "'we have never been able to discover who is his father or what was his mother's settlement, name or condition.' "'Mrs. Mann raised her hands in astonishment, but added, after a moment's reflection, "'How comes he to have any name at all, then?' "'The beadle drew himself up with great pride and said, "'I invented it.' "'You, Mr. Bumble?' "'I, Mrs. Mann. "'We name our fondlings in alphabetical order. "'The last was a S. Swabble, I named him. "'This was a T. Twist, I named him.' The next one comes will be Unwin and the next Wilkins. I have got names ready-made to the end of the alphabet and all the way through it again when we come to Z. He finished the gin and water and added, Oliver, being now too old to remain here, the board have determined to have him back into the house. I have come out myself to take him there, so let me see him at once. I'll fetch him directly, said Mrs. Mann, leaving the room for that purpose. Oliver was brought to Mr. Bumble by his benevolent protectress and led away at once. Oliver had not been within the walls of the workhouse a quarter of an hour, and had scarcely completed the demolition of a second slice of bread, when Mr. Bumble, who had handed him over to the care of an old woman, returned, and telling him it was a board night, informed him that the board had said he was to appear before it forthwith. Mr. Bumble conducted him into a large, whitewashed room where eight or ten fat gentlemen were sitting round a table, 
at the top of which, seated in an armchair rather higher than the rest, was a particularly fat gentleman with a very round red face. "'Bow to the board,' said Bumble. Oliver brushed away two or three tears that were lingering in his eyes, and seeing no board but the table, fortunately bowed to that. "'What's your name, boy?' said the gentleman in the high chair. Oliver was frightened at the sight of so many gentlemen, which made him tremble, and the beadle gave him a tap behind, which made him cry. These two causes made him answer in a very low and hesitating voice, whereupon a gentleman in a white waistcoat said he was a fool. "'Boy,' said the gentleman in the high chair, "'listen to me. You know you're an orphan, I suppose?' "'What's that, sir?' inquired poor Oliver." You know you've got no father or mother, and that you were brought up by the parish, don't you? Yes, sir, replied Oliver. Well, you have come here to be educated and taught a useful trade, said the red-faced gentleman in the high chair. So you'll begin to big oakum tomorrow morning at six o'clock, added the surly one in the white waistcoat. For the combination of both these blessings in the one simple process of picking oakum, Oliver bowed low by the direction of the beadle, and was then hurried away to a large ward, where, on a rough, hard bed, he sobbed himself to sleep. The room in which the boys were fed was a large stone hall, with a copper at one end, out of which the master, dressed in an apron for the purpose and assisted by one or two women, ladled the gruel at mealtimes. Of this festive composition, each boy had one porringer and no more, except on occasions of great public rejoicing, when he had two ounces and a quarter of bread besides. The bowls never wanted washing. The boys polished them with their spoons till they shone again, and when they had performed this operation, which never took very long, the spoons being nearly as large as the bowls, they would sit staring at the copper with such eager eyes as if they could have devoured the very bricks of which it was composed, employing themselves meanwhile in sucking their fingers most assiduously with the view of catching up any stray splashes of gruel that might have been cast thereon. Oliver Twist and his companions suffered the tortures of slow starvation for three months. At last they got so voracious and wild with hunger that one boy, who was tall for his age and hadn't been used to that sort of thing, for his father had kept a small cook-shop, hinted darkly to his companions that unless he had another basin of gruel per diem, he was afraid he might some night happen to eat the boy who slept next him, a weakly youth of tender age. He had a wild, hungry eye, and they implicitly believed him. A council was held. Lots were cast who should walk up to the master after supper that evening and ask for more. And it fell to Oliver Twist. The evening arrived. The boys took their places. The master, in his cook's uniform, stationed himself at the copper, his pauper assistants ranged themselves behind him, the gruel was served out, and a long grace was said over the short commons. The gruel disappeared. The boys whispered each other and winked at Oliver, while his next neighbours nudged him. Child as he was, he was desperate with hunger and reckless with misery. He rose from the table, and advancing to the master, basin and spoon in hand, said, somewhat alarmed at his own temerity, "'Please, sir, I want some more.' The master was a fat, healthy man, but he turned very pale. 
He gazed in stupefied astonishment on the small rebel for some seconds, and then clung for support to the copper. The assistants were paralyzed with wonder, the boys with fear. What? said the master at length, in a faint voice. Please, sir, replied Oliver. I want some more. The master aimed a blow at Oliver's head with the ladle, pinioned him in his arm, and shrieked aloud for the beadle. The board were sitting in solemn conclave when Mr. Bumble rushed into the room in great excitement, and addressing the gentleman in the high chair, said, Mr. Lincolns, I beg your pardon, sir. Oliver Twist has asked for more. There was a general start. Horror was depicted on every countenance. For more, said Mr. Limpkins. Compose yourself, Bumble, and answer me distinctly. Do I understand that he asked for more after he had eaten the supper allotted by the dietary? He did, sir, replied Bumble. That boy will be hung, said the gentleman in the white waistcoat. I know that boy will be hung. Oliver was ordered into instant confinement, and a bill was next morning pasted on the outside of the gate, offering a reward of five pounds to anybody who would take Oliver Twist off the hands of the parish. In other words, five pounds and Oliver Twist were offered to any man or woman who wanted an apprentice to any trade, business, or calling.